0: We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
1: Peter Navarro's journey from San Diego politician to a federal indictment.
2: You could say there was a certain philosophical and political rootlessness
1: to him. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. <music> New San Diego appointments shake up the political balance of the Catholic clergy.
2: The earthquake with Pope Francis, the aftershocks are people like Bishop Dolan being elevated to Bishop, Bishop McElroy becoming Cardinal
1: and a preview of the new season of the KPBS Arts Television Show. That's ahead on Midday Edition.
0: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen.
1: The televised hearings into the January 6th insurrection have so far featured many of Donald Trump's inner circle of advisers. We've heard testimony from people like campaign strategist Jason Miller, daughter Ivanka, and even former Attorney General Bill Barr. But one person we haven't heard from is a man with deep roots in San Diego. Not only has Trump assistant Peter Navarro been absent from these hearings, but today he pleaded not guilty to contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with a subpoena from the January 6th committee. Navarro's journey from Democratic San Diego mayoral candidate to MAGA Republican Trump defender has been complicated. L.A. Times columnist Mark Barabak is here to give us his take on that story. And Mark, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: I think longtime San Diegans will remember Peter Navarro as an up-and-coming star of the Democratic Party here. Remind us about him in those days.
2: Yeah, I, you know, just a bit of personal history. I was I was the uh, Washington correspondent for uh, the Union Tribune, which is where Peter Navarro first came on my radar as, as a candidate for Congress. But as you suggest, his, his start in San Diego politics came from his involvement in uh, a slow growth, anti-growth movement and he parlayed that into a run for mayor in 1992. As you suggest, he was an up-and-comer, good-looking, was compared to a young Robert Redford at the time, and actually came in first in 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 a pretty crowded field, and then lost that 1992 runoff to Susan Golding when developers and a lot of business interests came out against him. But it should be said, too, a lot of people think that he lost that race. He, he went after Susan Golding in a very personal way, uh, a lot of personal attacks. She cried during their last debate, and he was rather, I, I would say, not just unchivalrous, but he was he was a big jerk during that debate. And uh, a lot of people think that's what cost him the mayor's race. It was close. 52-48, he was
1: almost mayor. Now, in those days, he used to write things that criticized white male rage and fear-mongering politicians. In what other ways did he embrace democratic politics?
2: Well, for one thing, he spoke at the uh, Democratic National Convention in 1996, said he was proud to carry the uh, Clinton-Gore banner at the time, ran as a Democrat against then-Congressman and Republican Brian Bilbray, was very critical of, of right-wing Republicans, was very critical of Newt Gingrich. In fact, he campaigned saying uh, Newt Gingrich, of course, was the Republican speaker at the time, campaigned by saying he would be Newt Gingrich's worst nightmare, uh, went after Rush Limbaugh and others on the right. He was very much a down the line Democrat, although it should be said that was just one of several political incarnations. He was a Republican. He was a Democrat. He was an independent. He was a Democrat again. So you could say there was a certain philosophical and political rootlessness to him, which explains, I think, to some extent how he winded up being a a Trump acolyte.
1: Well, he ran unsuccessfully for office multiple times. He settled in as a professor of economics at UC Irvine, wrote cautionary books about the rise of China. That's apparently what got Trump's attention. But you write that Trump and Navarro became close not only because of politics, but because of similar personality traits. Tell us about that.
2: Well, both of them have a penchant for conspiracies, big chip on their shoulders. What I what I describe is a sense of, of victimhood. Uh, in Peter Navarro's case, it was the developers, uh, it was the Republicans, mm. then it was China, President Trump. We could go on a, a very long list of conspiracies, not least the supposed uh, stealing, quote, quote, of, of the 2020 election. So, yes, I said they bonded over both a uh, conspiratorial bent as well as what I describe as a very slippery relationship with the truth. In Peter Navarro's own words, he said he's not above deceit. He said he's not, or, or he wrote a very interesting book after his congressional campaign, Sandy O'Connor confidential, which was a lot of dish on a lot of state, local, national political figures. And in it, he just said, flat out, I don't have any problem making up stuff about my opponent and lying.
1: And Peter Navarro described himself in unflattering terms in that autobiography, didn't he?
2: He did. And, you know, I guess at the very least, you need to give him credit for honesty and self-awareness. In his book, he called himself, quoting here, his words, not mine, the cruelest and meanest SOB who ever ran for public office in San Diego. You know, as I suggest in the column, if someone calls himself uh, unscrupulous, deceitful and a liar, at least in that case, take him at their word.
1: What's your take on how he went from being this golden boy in the Democratic Party to becoming a MAGA Trump Republican?
2: That that's the big question. That's that that's why I want to do the column a, a, and explore that. Like you said, how do you go from being a a liberal Democrat to uh, a Trump acolyte? And I, I talked to a lot of people who've known him for a great many years, and they say if there's a through line, it is a consistent what I describe as a monumental self regard, an utter lack of, of grounding principles, and not least uh, what I call a bottomless hunger for attention. Pointing that he once actually showed up for a mayoral campaign event wearing nothing but a speedo bathing suit.
1: Some people dismiss Peter Navarro as a kind of nutty opportunist. What's your opinion?
2: Yeah, I think he's a a nutty opportunist who also tried to overthrow our country, who also tried to plot a coup, who also tried to overturn a free and fair election. And kooky, nutty, self-absorbed, egotistical, all those things, but scarily and unfortunately, was in a position where he could act on those crazy and nutty ideas and came very close along with a whole cadre of co-conspirators to bringing down our government
1: i've been speaking with la times columnist mark baraback mark thank you so much my pleasure San Diego's Roman Catholic Diocese has made some big headlines over the past few weeks. First, its leader was tapped by Pope Francis to become a cardinal, passing over more senior and more conservative Catholic clergy. Then, San Diego's auxiliary bishop was chosen to become bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix, replacing a more conservative bishop. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has a look at what those changes mean.
3: Bishop Robert McElroy himself said he never imagined this could happen, a -a once-in-a-lifetime appointment to become a cardinal. It came as a surprise.
0: Not a clue uh, that this was being contemplated or even possible.
3: To many San Diegans, a good surprise. We announced it at church and all the masses. Everybody rejoiced and clapped. That's Pastor Peter Navarra of St. Joseph's Cathedral in downtown San Diego. He says for those who understand the hierarchy of the church, this election is very out of the norm. Yes, that kind of surprised me because he broke the, the format, you know, the tradition. Bishop Elkeroy, who was not an archbishop, and then made it more special because San Diego is now in the map. And weeks after McElroy's selection, Pope Francis again turned to San Diego to elevate another church leader.
4: Please join me in welcoming Bishop John Dolan.
3: Auxiliary Bishop John Dolan will leave San Diego in August to take over the Phoenix Diocese, replacing a retiring bishop known for being ultra-conservative.
2: These are exciting and unpredictable and wild days for San Diego.
3: Michael Lovett Collier is the head of mission integration at the University of San Diego. He says two like-minded leaders being placed in high-ranking positions in the church has significant implications, but that change started with Pope Francis.
2: The earthquake was Pope Francis. The aftershocks are people like Bishop Dolan being elevated to Bishop, Bishop McElroy becoming the cardinal.
3: Just days before he was named Bishop of Phoenix, we spoke with Dolan about McElroy's selection as a cardinal. He addressed some of the criticism from hardliners, saying much like Pope Francis, McElroy will lead with his heart.
0: It isn't that he is trying to be conservative or liberal. He's really trying to focus on being a person who communicates at all times without drawing a line in the sand, because that never really helps.
3: McElroy and Church Insider say part of the reason he was selected was because of his work on three issues that are near to Pope Francis's heart immigration, inclusion, and the environment. McElroy will be the only cardinal on the West Coast and in a border city. Father Patrick Murphy runs Casa del Migrante, a nonprofit shelter for migrants across the border in Tijuana. He says a voice like McElroy's is needed in Rome. I think that's very strong symbolism on the part of Pope Francis, because he has this
1: phrase, reaching out to people on the peripheries, and being at the borders, being in the
3: peripheries. Women have long been on the periphery of church leadership, but McElroy made changes by appointing Maria Olivia Galvan as the first woman chancellor and director for pastoral ministries in the diocese. That is something that we're starting to see more and more throughout the nation, but it's far from being a reality. He's a visionary. And environmental advocates like Mitch Silverstein from the Surfrider Foundation say having allies in positions of leadership matters.
4: I think it's just crucial to, to all of us uniting to save our planet.
3: Ultimately, Lovett-Collier says... This type of pastoral leadership will help usher in a new generation who have not seen themselves or their friends accepted in the church.
2: People in those roles who operate in that way, who have those qualities, are often seen, especially by young people, as incredibly relevant, incredible, and authentic witnesses. Uh, And therefore, they're very effective in attracting people either to pay attention to the church in a new way or maybe even to get involved in a deeper way.
3: McElroy will travel to Rome in August, where he will be installed by Pope Francis. Then, he will return to San Diego to continue his work, with a new title of Cardinal. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News.
4: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation. Presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
1: This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. On this weekend preview, we welcome the return of KPBS Arts, our television series that highlights a wide range of local theater, music, dance, and visual art. The program's host, William B.J. Robinson, joins us to chat about the series and some of the artists and organizations he'll be profiling in upcoming episodes. So welcome, B.J.
4: Hello. Thank you for having me, Maureen.
1: And of course, KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans is also here to tell us some things that are happening around town
5: this weekend. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Maureen. It's great to be here. Thank you. So,
1: Julia, on your radar this weekend is a dance festival from San Diego Dance Theater in Liberty Station. What can you tell us about that?
5: Yeah, it's called the Live Arts Fest, and this year it's a little bit dialed back. In the past, it's been nine or ten days of performances. Uh, this year is just four days over the course of this weekend. They kicked it off last night with performances from their own choreographers, but they bring in collaborators and artists from all around the world. Some of the standouts this weekend, tonight Teatro en El Incendio is a Tijuana based contemporary dance company. They're performing at eight o'clock. They're going to be doing this art performance piece. There's a little bit of audience participation and this hones in on suffering, exhaustion, and depression for what they're calling a society in crisis. I've seen some previous performances of this, some clips of it, and it is, absolutely gorgeous. And then there's other performances too. Saturday at 8, another standout is Odessa Uno. Her presentation of In Our Red World. This was premiered in their Young Choreographer Showcase last year. And then Sunday at 8 is BK Soul's Between Play and Pause. This is a local hip-hop contemporary dance company. Performing on Sunday will be Aunt Black, Siobhan Carreno, Kendrick Dial, Grace Shinhai Jun, and more. And this all takes place at, in Liberty Station at the Lightbox Theater.
1: Okay, Julia, thank you. Now let me bring in B.J. Robinson. He's, of course, the host of KPBS Arts. Do you have any suggestions for an arts event this weekend?
4: Oh, I have a few suggestions. This weekend is celebrating Juneteenth uh, across the country. And so there's a few different things that people can check out if they're interested. On Saturday, the Old Globe is hosting a Juneteenth celebration, part of their Access Free Performing Arts Series from 12 to 2. It is at their outdoor theater. It's completely free and it will have poetry, choirs, uh, soul presentations, theater, um, live bands. It's going to be a really exciting thing hosted by Gil Soto. But if you're more into the athletic thing, there's a great organization called Black Educated uh, Inc. that is hosting a 5K run on Sunday that starts at noon in Choyas Park. Um, So you can choose whether you're looking for more arts or athletics to celebrate Juneteenth this weekend.
1: Okay, thanks, BJ. I wonder what it means for you to see this program, KPBS Arts, return after a pandemic hiatus.
4: It has been an exciting yet trying time the last two years to keep arts thriving and to keep audiences engaged with the artists here in San Diego and beyond. And KPBS Arts has been a great opportunity for people to connect with artists, with different events, um, with different series coming through San Diego, as well as when they're traveling the country. So it means the world to get to bring this back after two years and get to continue to highlight what we're doing here in San Diego, as well as share stories nationwide.
1: And you bring us to the personal lives of some of the artists around town. Here's a clip from the first episode. It features renowned San Diego ballet dancer Xavier Hicks.
5: I was raised with a lot of different nationalities.
1: And basically, the nationalities that I was with, they never really had any black dancers or black athletes around them. So when my mom finally came to join me and she says to me, I want you to go see this and I want you to go see that. I went with it because mostly there was nobody that looked like me. Now we have a whole bunch of them coming out. Shoes, tights, all that stuff reflects that. So the growth is always there and the struggle is always there, but the beauty is always going to be there. Again, that's from the new KPBS Arts program. Now, BJ, you explore the arts through a distinctively local angle, but the program will take viewers far beyond San Diego. Tell us about this mix of local and nationwide arts you'll be delving into.
4: There's just so much going on in the arts world, and it's always difficult to keep up with everything, Um, whether you are looking for something to just pass the time or you're an absolute passionate fan and patron of the arts. And so what we get to do with KPBS Arts is offer people ways to connect with some of that information, be it you're going on the road and find out about different festivals taking place in Reno or Tallahassee or exhibits that are moving from LA to New York. Um, Or if you're just trying to find out more about local artists, like we got to do in this upcoming episode on Xavier Hicks, he is a fantastic dancer with a long-standing career as a San Diego principal dancer. Um, he attended the San Diego School of Performing Creative and Performing Arts. He's been a principal dancer with California Ballet, and he currently teaches throughout all of San Diego counties, offering lectures and workshops, um, as well as working with different companies like Malishok Dance and his own company, CELA. So there's just so much that we get to share. and. And I think it's really a great way for people to, to just get a different perspective on artists and the art that they make.
1: You can catch the return of KPBS Arts tonight at 8 on KPBS 2 or tomorrow at 4.30 on KPBS TV. And I've been speaking with uh, KPBS Arts program host B.J. Robinson. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, thanks again to KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Thanks, Julia.
5: Thank you, Maureen. And thank you, BJ. Have a good weekend.
4: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more mcasd.org.